Welcome everyone to Tamriel Adventures, a show that brings you information from all across the far reaches of Tamriel. I am your host, Eric, aka Sulior, and today we are going to be continuing our Morrowind talk. Now, this will be the start of a new series on the Great Houses of Morrowind, and we are starting out today with House Lalu. But before we get to that, we do have a little bit of news. So the uh, Necrom update, I'm sorry, the Necrom chapter and update 38 are live on the public test server right now. So of course this is PC only because anytime there's a public test server, it's only for PC. But if you are one of the people who do play on PC, definitely check it out and let me know how it is. Um, they did give us a pretty good preview of this with the ESO Vegas celebration that happened recently. So there is a recap video that you can watch on uh, the Elder Scrolls Online website. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, ElderScrollsOnline.com. Um, just go there or Bethesda.net. I'm sure there's a link. The video is a little over an hour long, but if you would like to check it out, it's there available right now. So, speaking of uh, the new ESO chapter, as we all know, it is starring Hermaeus Mora. So, Wes Johnson is actually doing a live stream on Hermaeus Mora tomorrow as I'm recording this. This is the evening of April 27th. So, uh, yeah, he will be live on the... Bethesda Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Bethesda at 4 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, and he will be talking Hermaeus Mora, so definitely be on the lookout for that. I'm going to be at work at that point, unfortunately, so I'm not going to be able to watch it, but I will definitely be checking out the recap. You know, we all know that Wes Johnson is mainly known for Shea Gorath, the Daedric Prince of Madness, cheese for everyone. I'm not going to even attempt to do that voice right now. But he has voiced a lot of other characters over the years with his career. And, uh, you know, for Bethesda games, not just for Elder Scrolls, but for Fallout. But, I mean, if you're walking around in Oblivion, like, one in every four or five characters is voiced by him. Including, you know, her, you know. Hermaeus Mora. I don't think he voiced Hermaeus Mora in Oblivion, but he definitely did in Skyrim. So I'm glad that uh, people are starting to see that he's not just Shea Korath, but plenty of other characters as well. So in other news, um, <laughs> uh, speaking of Necrom, there's more news on that. The prologue quest is now available on the ESO Crown Store, so you can actually get it for free. You know, the prologue quests are always free. Um, I have played it. I'll be talking about it here in a little bit. But uh, other Bethesda news, Redfall is going to be out here in a few days. It's coming out early next week on May the 2nd. And I am going to be playing that, hopefully. You know, I, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to have to be sticking to the cloud with this just like I have with Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo but that's okay as long as I get to play it and yeah it's gonna be on Game Pass so a lot of people have already preloaded it 
Downside is if you're playing on a console, it is locked at 30 frames per second until there is an eventual optimization boost. They did say that. Uh, <laughs> another advantage that PC players have over us console players. But hey, what can you do? I, It's nothing that I've really noticed. I know there are people who have to have it at 120 frames per second. I don't care as long as there's no, you know, stuttering and lag and crap like that. You know, just as long as I can play the damn game, I'm fine. Uh, but I'm not. <clears throat> I know there are people who just have to have that buttery smoothness. Like I said, I don't care as long as it runs well. So, but yeah, that was definitely a bit of controversy that uh, was all over social media recently um oh i forgot to mention there's one more thing that i i saw um as i mentioned before my phone will sometimes suggest articles for me and uh this one literally made me laugh out loud when i saw the the caption of it so there's a mod for everything these days uh we actually talked about that recently on the latest episode of tapes from the wastes uh where we were kind of doing a season 12 recap of the scoreboard but there actually was a player who role-played as Shea Gorath in Skyrim and he there's video of him defeating a dragon with a block of cheese <laughs> like this this really uh, got a pop out of me when I read this so <laughs> Uh, the player's name, uh, the clip was posted on Reddit by application OK6770. And it shows the player in combat with a dragon while wearing Shayagorath's outfit. And they completely designed their appearance around the Shayagorath in Skyrim specifically, because there is a difference. But yeah, they're, they're, fight, they're uh, using a staff and. This, the fight appears to fire off rolls of cheese at the dragon, which is just brilliant. Um, so I'm definitely going to be posting the link for this in the show notes because it, it definitely got a chuckle out of me. So <clears throat> anyway, that really is it as far as the news. Um, I know we got a little over a month until Necrom comes out, but... What have I been playing lately? So, I have played the prologue quest for Necrom, as I mentioned. Um, really wasn't too difficult. It, it got a little confusing. Um, for the most part, you're in the green shade zone of Valenwood, Valenwood. And you're dealing with, you know, some of Hermaeus Mora's... Uh, disciples and then you're also dealing with the daedric lord himself and yeah it's it's definitely Wes johnson who's voicing the character but it it does sound a little bit the voice does sound a little bit different than he does in skyrim it's not as slow it doesn't sound like he's speaking through molasses but it's it's really well done and I don't really want to give any spoilers, but let's just say that uh, you and Hermes Mora come to an understanding by the end of it. I, I did enjoy it. I haven't really 
like I said, I've, I've kind of been taking a break from ESO just because I've been through so many of the storylines and it is a little frustrating how, you know, with, with Fallout 76, there's one, you know, major server. Well, no, I take that back. There's two. There, well, three. There's PlayStation, there's Xbox, and there's PC. That's it. With Elder Scrolls, you know, and everything is specific to those mega servers. But with ESO, there's six. There's, you know, there's six mega servers. There's PlayStation uh, European. There's PlayStation NA. There's Xbox NA. There's Xbox EU. There, and then, the, you know, so on and so forth with PC. And everything you get, you know, if you if you get something from the, the major store, like the Xbox store or the PlayStation store, then yeah, if you have characters on both the NA server and the EU server, it works with both. So when I picked up the Necrom uh, pre-order, it works for both. However, if I buy something in the store on one of those specific servers, it's only good for that server. So say I want to get Vampirism. I buy it in the PC NA store, for example. It's specific to that server. So if I have a character on the European server, it won't work. I mean, I mean, that's probably a bad example. You know, say I get a player house. That's probably a better example. So if you get something for, like, a player house for that server, it's only specific to that server. So even if you have characters on the um, PC EU server, that house isn't going to show up. You technically didn't buy it for that server. So I really hope that there is a time when they can merge those servers like the the platform server not the you know so the eu server and the you know na server merge i know i, I know it's kind of a, a gripe that maybe isn't that big of a deal because people don't have characters across multiple servers like i do but you know i started out playing on the na server because you know, of course i live in the states but then I started really playing with the Hive uh, Guild, which eventually disbanded. But, you know, my character in the European server is up to close to level 600 now. Now, and yeah, there's, there's houses that I got on that server that I don't have on the other one. But... It's not, it's not just that. Also, like the you know, champion points. The champion's points that I collected in the European server do not translate to the North American server. So if I wanted to start a new character like the Unconist or you know, the, the new class that's coming out with Necrom, I have to really think about which server I want to start that character on. Again, I, I don't know, maybe, you know, first world problems, what have you, but it is a bit of a gripe that I have with that game, and I really hope that sometime down the line, 
we can hopefully see those servers merge because I would love to have some of the stuff that I have on the European server in the North American server. But again, you know, I, I digress. Um, so yeah, I did play a little bit of ESO. I did the prologue quest with Necrom. And, you know, I did spend quite a bit of time playing Skyrim. So I recently started the Legacy of the Dragonborn uh, mod that I heard talked about quite a bit in the uh, ASA podcasting community. And I really wanted to check it out. Um, I heard a lot about it, but I think at the time it was just for a PC. Well, it was brought to my attention that it is now on Xbox, so I really wanted to try it. The problem is, it's a big mod. <laughs> it's nearly 900 megabytes, so it's not too far under a gig. So I had to make some room for it. But, you know, I started it, and I streamed it, so if you want to check out my Twitch channel, I do have a couple of streams where I'm playing through this. And if you are a lore junkie like myself, you know, I will, you know, go through and explain the significance of some of these items that you're going to collect, like the sixth house hammer that you get pretty early on in the quest. Um, <laughs> however... One of the, like, the last streams that I did with that, I didn't realize that this was a thing, but this mod, if you have other mods installed that are quest mods or location mods, they will send you to those locations to get some of these items. So I, I didn't realize that. So I get a quest to get an item, and I couldn't find it on the map. I didn't know where the hell it was. Then I looked at it, or I looked at the information about it, and I'm like, oh my god, this is taking me all the way to elsewhere. So, <laughs> I've got Moon Path to Elsewhere um, installed. And, you know, most of the time, with the, the items leading up to this, it was a very quick retrieval. You just go to the location, get the item, leave. With this one, I think I've got a playthrough pretty much the entire Moon Path to Elsewhere story before I can retrieve this item. So, yeah, I still haven't gotten it yet. I'm still traveling around this mod in Elsewhere, um, going through the story just so I can get to the location to get this item and get back to Skyrim so I can put it in the museum. But, I mean, it's been fun. Yeah, there were some frustrations because I kept sinking through. There was one point where, I don't know if it was a glitch or what, but I could not get out of this pit. So, yeah, I had to uh, save, uh, or I'd, I'd save before, just uh, quickly before that. Uh, so thankfully I wasn't stuck. But, yeah, it, it's been fun. I'm probably still going to keep doing that on stream. Um, just so people can watch me play through this mod. Um, I have been um, having some, few, you know, a few people watching my streams lately, and it's really been appreciated. Um, speaking of which, I have been playing a crap load of Fallout 4 recently. 
Um, those of you, you probably all know this, but I do the round tables with the Fallout 4, or with the uh, Fallout feed community, um, rather. So, yeah, I always take part in that, uh, and it's been a lot of fun. I have been, uh, this particular roundtable with the Fallout feed is a survival run. Um, specifically the um, DLC, but it's going to be a bit before we get to those. So we've been, uh, you know, it, it just started this past Friday. We've got our characters, but a lot of us have been playing a ton of, you know, we, we've already rolled our characters and we've been going through a lot. Um, I think I know a couple people who've at least hit level 10 so far. I think I'm level 6. But this is my first survival character for anything. Um, I tend to not do survival because, as I've said on Tapes from the Wastes, I'm not a masochist. Why would I want to make the game harder? Um, it just sounds like torture. But, you know what? I rolled my character, and I've streamed it a lot. Um, I've got quite a few... I've got four or five streams on it already. So, you can go check those out. I actually played a little bit today as I'm recording this. I played for about two and a half hours. A little over. And, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I've done a lot better than I expected to. Like, I made it to Diamond City, I made it through the Corvega plant without really any issues. Getting into the Corvega plant was a different story. I got my head taken off pretty quickly a few times. But once I got into the Corvega plant, I actually made quick work of the leader of the raiders that are inhabiting the Corvega plant. And yeah, it, it's been fun. Um, I'm currently trying to work on getting the settlements set up so I can level up and get local leader because I do have a, a mod to, to where I can fast travel between the settlements, but I think you need local leader to do that. So anyway, um, yeah, definitely check out my, uh, definitely check out the Fallout feed because I'm going to be sending in my feedback to them on a regular basis. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Um, a lot more fun than I expected. Yeah, it's it's difficult, but it's yeah, it's been fun. So anyway, that is it as far as my gameplay goes. So let's get into today's topic, which is House Lalu. All right, guys. So let's talk uh, House Lalu. So, before we get to that, though, we should probably talk about the Great Houses themselves. So, the Great House traditions derive from ancient Dunmer clans and tribes, but now function as political parties. So, in modern times, Morrowind is ruled by the Grand, Count Grand Council, easy for me to say, of five Great Houses, House Redoran, House Talvani, House Sadras, House Endoral, and House Dress. So... House Lalu used to sit on this council, but lost its seat to House Sadras in the early 4th era. Each house governs an eponymous district of mainland Morrowind. Rotoran's in the south, I'm sorry, in the northwest. Sadras, which uh, used to be, they, they used to 
It used to be the house Klaalu that had this area, but again, Sadrus kind of moved in and took over. Um, this is in the western center and southwest. Telvani is in the northeast, and Doral is in the central heartlands in the east, and Dress is in the southeast. The three houses also had interests in uh, the island of Vardenfell. Members of each great house commonly identify themselves by traditional colors of their house, red for Redoran, yellow for Hualu, blue for Indoral, and brown for Telvani, and then we got gray for Dress. So, yeah, the Denver membership is largely a matter of birth and marriage. So, you know what, Let, let's just go ahead and get into Hualu. So, we'll talk about its organization and all that. So, Hualu is the yellow party of uh, Hualu, or yellow hats. Um, it's one of the five traditional great houses settled, of uh, the settled Denver. And the Hualu district is in western central Marland, and its capital is Narsis, and it's ruled by the leader known as Hai Hualu. In the second era, House Hualu's presence on the island of Vardenfell was limited to the port town of Sidinin, but by the third era, the house had expanded exponentially, and its council seated located in the ex-Redoran city of Balmora. Other Hualu towns include Suran, Hlaod, Narmak, and in the mainland, um, formerly dressed cities of Ebenhart and Craigenmore were obtained by Hlaalu. Early in the fourth era, soon after the empire released Marwind um, from the empire, and anti-imperial sentiment and Hlaalu association with the empire led to the stripping of its rank. So that's why eventually their position was filled by House Sadras. House Hlaalu could be categorized as an adaptable and opportunistic uh, bunch of people, and any morals they might have come to uh, any morals they might have come second to business. The house was largely concerned with businesses and diplomacy, seeking to strengthen its ties with uh, through unconventional allies such as the empire. And although profit was obtained, uh, although profit was often the primary objective, tra traditional Hualu practice recognized the value of good reputation other than money. This was their great strength. They were fast talkers and intelligent traders and their great liability. Most Hualu were bribable, either with gold or with other favors. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just talk to, talk to uh, a good old Crassius Curio. Uh, if you know, you know. And uh, I'm sure I'll be talking about that here in a minute. Um, yeah, that, that was uh, that was something else. So there were also members of House Lalu that were very good at things like thievery, sneaking, lockpick, blackmailing, backstabbing, both in literal and metaphorical. And some councils were honest and fair; others were very much not. However, House Lalu's most distinguishing characteristic was its willingness to live in harmony with other races. This sets it apart from other great houses that are typically pretty xenophobic. Um, <laughs> yeah, there is that. Um, as I mentioned, slavery is still very much a thing when you're playing through Morrowind, unfortunately. Nice little side quest that goes along with that, where you're freeing slaves. House Hualu maintained oftentimes tumultuous relationships with other factions of Morrowind, 
which eventually prompted their fall from grace. Though this was not as favored as, uh, though not as favored as House Endoral or House Redoran, the Tribunal Temple retained an overall positive relationship with House Lalu. They had less friendly relationships with the great, the rest of the great houses, and more rarely outright hostility existing between themselves and Endoral, Dress, Telvani, and Redoran. So this actually does come into play when you're playing through the main story in Marwind. Um, one of the signs of the Nerevarine is the fact that you have to unite the great houses. Um, and this is not an easy task. I mean, there's a reason why it was a prophecy. is because, for the most part, it's unheard of. So that is one of your tasks that you have to do in the game. But let's get a little bit more into their history. So let's start with the first era. House Lali was founded in ancient times, predating the rise of the Tribunal Temple and the transformation of the Chimer into the Dunmer. So that is quite old. Um, wow, I did not realize that House Lali had been around for that long. So the house existed in the times of the, or since the time of the First Council. And by the 121st year of the Golden Peace, their influence extended throughout the central region of Morrowind. Prior to the War of the First Council, 30 of the most influential and revered Chimer clans worked together to build the fabled Library of Andul, a grand repository containing the ge geological records related to the earliest Velothi settlers and other associated knowledge about the earliest history of the Great Houses. Seven of the thirty revered families hailed from House Lalu, the Arano, Arenium, Narano, and the Norvane, Thrace, Talas, and Uvarian clans. Um, some of these actually sound like Ashlander names, uh, but yeah, we might get into the Ashlanders with a future episode. The location of the tombs were presumed lost in the aftermath of the War of the First Council, along with the Library of Andul and the records contained within. Seven tombs were discovered during the year Second Era 582, which of course is the events of ESO, alongside the other 23 families and the Library of Andul itself. According to Agrippa Fundelius, warriors of House Lalu fought and died at the Battle of Red Mountain under the leadership of Horator Endoral Nerevar, which that name should sound familiar. This happened during the War of the First Council and First Era 700. During the decades in the aftermath of the war, at least one Hualu Council, Hualu Nothok, had a role in discussing the nascent uh, uh, tribunal temple plans to reorganize the house lands of Marland. From the time of the house's founding, Hualu developed a focus toward the mercantile and diploma, uh, sorry, diplomatic disciplines. With the motto, to trade fairly is and freely is to honor the three. These combined cultural practices lead to a proclivity towards bribery and corruption within the house. As noted by House Hualu Grand Historian Hlandu Hualu, for every honest and fair counsel um, counselor Halalu produces, there might be as many as four or five that are underhanded and corrupt. That, that kind of sucks. 
However, the historian also maintained that this was overly this was not overly concerning to House Lalu as pragmatism easy for me to say would avoid any unduly depths of this behavior. As House Lalu evolved, the standard members were expected to follow suit. That you would think, you know, times change, gotta change with them. Members were expected to be fast and agile and able to keep up with businesses and with the times. Being able to speak quickly and convincingly, as well as the ability to trade with the best of merchants and make profit, were likewise expected. Learning to protect one's own property by securing it within hidden chests, locks, and even traps was also needed. When confrontation was unavoidable, House Lalu warriors were also taught to fight quickly and be comfortable in light armors as well as short blades or from a distance with marksman's weapons. The Great Houses role during the 80-year Fourscore War against the Second Empire is unknown, but the aftermath of the conflict would prove lucrative time for the House. So that's the first era. Let's go into the second era. In the early years of the second era, during the, the period of historically, I'm sorry, of history directly after the end of the Fourscore War, House Lalu was led by Delamain Lalu. During his leadership, the house, great, the house greatly amassed wealth and prestige, exploiting the state of the northern, northeastern Tamriel after the Fourscore War. This period was known as Lalu's Age of Gild, sorry, yeah, Gilded Glory. In Second Era 559, a dispute over House Lalu's trading post in contested territory erupt into an, a rare armed conflict known as the War of the Two Houses. The so-called, so-called war consisted of only one battle, and it was fought by House Dress mercenaries and House Hlalu guards at the trading post. Despite the House, I'm sorry, despite Hlalu being overcome five to one, the conflict ended with a decisive Hlalu victory when the leader of the Hlalu guards, Perea Felon defended a portal that allowed a full consort of Hualu battle merchants to swarm the dress mercenaries, and my cat just insists on saying hi. In Second Era 572, an Akaviri army of Kamal, under the leadership of Adasum Dir Kamal, I think that's how you pronounce that, um, invaded Marwin from Skyrim through Fort Virak. After a pitched at Vivex, Antlers, and Stone Falls. The invaders were defeated with the assistance of Nords from Eastern Skyrim and the Argonians from Shadowfen and Thornmarsh. In recognition of their mutual cooperation, the three groups signed an alliance in the city of Ebonheart, which became known as the Ebonheart Pact, which if you played ESO, you know all about the Ebonheart Pact. But I really hope that we get to see something like this. Like, we've seen flashbacks in the Merkmire expansion of ESO that have to do with the Aliots. I would love to see a flashback that has something to do with the Akaviri. I don't know if we've actually seen that, but that would be really cool. But the four great houses of Morrowind enlisted in an alliance, including House Lalu, and after the eruption of the Three Banners War in Second Era 580, House Lalu's warriors would be among those that fought for control of Cyrodiil in the White Gold Tower. House, House Lalu was known to support the Nevenhard Pact, especially when it came to when it came to Pact unity. 
Though this was said to be because of the Hualu Grandmaster was smart enough to exploit the opportunities offered by the Alliance. House Lalu also honored the pact's request to end the practice of slavery by its member parties and actively enforced this by persecuting slavery in its territories. Despite the outward enthusiasm for the alliance that many House Lalu uh, people displayed, the Pact of the Three Banners War had an adverse effect on Hualu's prosperity, which, uh, from what we know, is what they mainly cared about. According to House Lalu Deputy Trade Viceroy Turner, T-I-R-N-U-R Turner, uh, Nalan, Marwan's economy was imperiled by the pact and the war. So, Hualu trade ministers went to great lengths to solidify their holdings outside of Marwan. While the enemy alliances seized most of their extraterritorial property, extraterritorial, that's a difficult word to say, uh, they retained sizable assets and imperial forces and foreign business concerns. Is that, is that supposed to say houses? No, it says bourses. I don't know what a bourse is. Extracting this wealth proved difficult and took time, gold, and connections. Some years prior to Second Era 582, House Lalu and House Rhetorin entered into a formal alliance. While the House Lalu deferred to House Rhetorin in matters of defense, Rhetorin deferred to Lalu in matters of commerce and diplomacy. A product of this partnership was the construction of many Rhetorin houses and holdings on the frontier island of Vardenfell by Lalu Construction Syndic, including cities of Balmora and Suran. However, the Syndic violated the terms of the construction contract when they ignored the instructions for the settlements to be built in House Rhetorin's architectural style and instead built them in Lalu style. Hualu furthermore used the opportunity to establish business relationships with all the sources of raw materials and provisions throughout Vardenfell and acquire a near monopoly in these areas. These events, coupled with the beliefs that Hualu coveted Balmora and Saran for themselves, led to relations between Hualu and Redoran becoming strained in spite of their alliance. With Redoran officially marking House Hualu as a group of operating against their best interests, Around the same time, Hualu formed a trade deal with the rest of the island. Uh, I'm sorry, with the Gold Coast Trading Company, and contracting them to build the port of Sedanin. Sedanin was then used to welcome visitors into Vardenfell and provide access to the rest of the island. You see this in the game Morrowind. Uh, that's where you start at. You arrive there on a ship, and uh, yeah, that's that's how you start. Lalu also made contributions toward the construction of Vivek City by donating gold from its vast treasury. In Secondary 582, House Lalu is prominent in the Deshan region of the southern Marwind, but remained weak in the rest of Marwind. That same year, the House faced troubles in their capital region of Narsis. The Malborn cult, posing as a philanthropic, philanthropic, excuse me, um, organization released the Lotus Plague in the Hualu region of uh, Redolent Loam during, uh, during the region of Deshaun. Yeah, this is this is a serious storyline in the Ebonheart Pact story. That's one thing that you have to deal with is just wipe this plague out, find its source, and destroy it. The disease spread to Narcissus and led to a lockdown of the city and evacu the evacuation of much of the population. 
Unbeknownst to Counselor Ralden, the rest of Lalu official, sorry, the resident Lalu official at the time, his advisor, Giron Sadri, was a member of Melbourne Cult and was facilitating the spread of the plague in nearby Lake Lalu and the kidnapping of Narcissus citizens. The arrival of a stranger and a pair of Morag Tong agents helped expose Giron and save Narcissus. Guess who that stranger is? Through the fate of Counselor Ralden and abducting and the abducted city, though the fate of Counselor Ralden and the abducted citizens in the aftermath remain unknown. Um, I think we know what happened. The Malborn perpetrators were pursued east into the Obsidian Gorge, where Hualu enforcers and their allies put an end to the Lotos Plague production and the alchemist behind the disease, Merdindral. Merdindral. Elsewhere in Deshaun, Halalu guardsmen rooted out a hostile clan of orcs named the Oathbound in the area of the Valis Mountains named Amalek's Mall, and attempted to establish trade relations of the Marbrish tribe of Outlanders, I'm sorry, Ashlanders in the Vale of the Ghost Snake. Later in Secondary 582, Halalu faced further troubles with their Vardenfell holdings. In the port of Sadenine, illegal slavers uh, under Captain Svardstar, Svodstar set up the base of operations on the nearby abandoned Redoran outpost in Firemouth Island with the assistance of the corrupt governor Omelian. Where assistance of the Morag Tong an agent, the traveler, and Deputy Demina. Salvi and the local Hualu guard shut down the operation, but it's unknown if the disgraced former governor Emilian was brought to justice. In Balmora, the brothers Malur and Benarethan quarreled over the Vasir Dindant mine, and it, there was a scheme to produce false ebony under the murder of innocents. This scheme was ultimately exposed, and the mine ownership passed to Hualu Councilor Raveth and the wizard named Svark, who bargained with House Lalu to dispose of the Magister. House Lalu coveted Dar Daratha's territory, and Svark desired Daratha's position as Magister. They infected Daratha's mushroom tower with infectious spores in an attempt to kill her, but the plot was stopped by Daratha's mouth and the assistance of a traveler. Usually they call your character in ESO the Vestige. I'm kind of I'm kind of wondering why they keep referring to your character as the Traveler. In Second Era 864, the Imperial Geographical Society reported House Lalu as being the smallest and weakest of the five clans, noting that Hualu nevertheless maintained limited commerce with the Empire. They were trading both Imperial broadcloth and Cyrodiilic brandy for the elegant crafts produced by the crafters of Marland. In the Twilight Era, I'm sorry, the Twilight Years of the Second Era, Tiber Septim's legions turned their eyes toward Morrowind. Facing the threat of invasion, the Great Houses were divided on how to deal with the situation. Uniquely, Hlalu boldly proposed, uh, sorry, boldly proposed accommodating the Imperials rather than fighting them. They were alone in this, however, with House and Doral dress Redoran swearing to resist the Western invaders to the death, and House Telvanni recused themselves from conflict altogether. House Redoran soon found itself manning the Western borders of Marwind alone, the House and Doral in dress preferring to retreat inwards to wage a guerrilla war. 
When Vivek signed the armistice, House Lolly was the first to welcome the agreement. After the armistice was signed, the ruling Lord Council of Morrowind, a member of House Endorl who refused to accept the treaty was assassinated and replaced by a Hlalu noble, toppling Endorl from its ancient pedestal as the leading great house and propelling House Lalu to the top of its place, in its place. Furthermore, the newly established imperial role of the figurehead sovereign of Morrowind was also filled by a Hlalu, be- beginning with Queen Baron Zaya. Need to talk about her at some point. For the next era, Halalu would reign, era, uh, reign over the Ground Council of Morrowind at the Empire's behest. So, yeah, that is the second era. Let's talk about the third era. House Lalu entered the third era as the dominant local power in the Imperial Province of Morrowind. Owning its close relationship to, with the new administration, they became politically and economically dominant among the Great Houses. It is said that much of Hlalu's successes as Great House in the late Third Era is attributed to its earnings of one Hlalu Pasoroth, the great-grandfather of Hlalu Helseth. Unlike other houses, Hlalu generally adopted, or sorry, adapted rapidly to cultural changes, even welcoming them in some occasions. Alongside the meteoric rise of power, Hlalu saw significant expansions in the territory both in the mainland and in Bardenfell. Mainland Morrowind, uh, House Lolly's territory expanded past Dolan to Loam and grew to incorporate the cities of Ebenhard and Cragenmore, who'd, lost, who'd since lost their previous dress oversight. After Vardenfell was opened for settlement in Third Era 414, House Lolly's outstanding, sorry, long-standing plans to seize Balmora and Surya from the House Redoran for themselves came to fruition and Redoran were driven out of their former settlements. Yeah, um, it's pretty obvious that by the time of uh, Morrowind that House Lalu was in control of those areas. The smaller villages of Narmok and Hla Ode were built, and one of the cantons uh, of the completed Vivek city was dedicated to Lalu retainers and kin. This is where you find Crassus Curio. Um, <laughs> like I said, we'll talk about him in a minute, but, um, yeah, um, that's just, they just continue to grow and expand, and as of the late third era, Queen Berenziah had abdicated in favor of her uncle, King Hualu Athin Lethen, and House Lalu was ran, ruled by Grand Master of Venom Dren, also of Duke, the Duke of Vardenfell. The Duke's brothers, Orvis dress and he was the kingpin of the Kamonatong crime syndicate resulting in the affairs of Hlalu and Kamonatong becoming inexorably intertwined. Two house counselors Vilinda Omani and Nirvana Ulis uh, became direct puppets of Orvis Dren and his way to exercise his will on the Hlalu council. Duke Dren's daughter meanwhile focused, founded uh, Twin Lamps abolitionist movement while Duke Vendum disapproved of his brother's activities, he was largely powerless or unmotivated to stop them. In Second Era 426, the Hlalu Council reported a reduction in the incidence of theft and violent crime in the Hlalu districts, thanks to the vigilance of the legions and stern sentences by the magistrates. 
Hualu found itself embroiled in numerous conflicts in Second Era 427. Us Rhetoran struggled to compete with Hualu's dominance in the ebony trade in Vardenfell. The most obvious conflict centered around the town of Caldera, which was founded by the Imperial Caldera Mining Company. Yeah, that's one of the Fighters Guild quests, is you're dealing with bandits and thieves that are trying to sabotage the mine. Um, like I said, <laughs> um, the Great Houses became united under the Nerevarine um, in Third Era 427 during the events of Oblivion. So, <laughs> it's kind of funny with, uh, yeah, Cassius uh, Curio is definitely, he's one of the higher-ups in House Hualu, and you have to gain his approval to uh, be able to include Hualu in the uh, unification of the Great House. Kind of, not the unification, but the uh, the uniting under the Nerevarine. And you... Yeah, Hualu Council formally recognized the Nerevarine as Horator. So, to do this, you have to gain uh, Crassius Curio's favor. And you can either do a quest for him, or you can flash him. Um, <laughs> literally, like, you have to drop your pants in front of him. It's kind of funny. Um, but he is also the uh, writer of the Lusty Argonian Maid. So, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a uh, it's definitely an experience that you won't really forget uh, in Marwin. But by Third Era 432, House, House Lalu is said to be on the rise as they embrace new traditions and welcoming the return of the old. Count Endelandaris of Shadenhall is said to have gained his position as the only non-imperial count of Cyrodiil. So this was allegedly due to his connections with House Lalu and its connections with the Empire. By Third Era 433, rumors in Cyrodiil suggested that King Helseth had made an unprecedented alliance between House Lalu and House Dress, abolishing slavery altogether. The alliance went on to pick apart the carcass of the ruined Endoral. Later that year, the Oblivion Crisis erupted all across Tamriel and set events into motion that would see the downfall of House Lalu. The Empire pulled a vast majority of the legions out of Marwyn to deal with the gates opening in their homeland of Cyrodiil, taking most of Hualu's political power with them. The Dunmer had no, out, no standing army at the time, and they were left nearly defenseless as the armies of Daedrus swept across the province. While most of House Redoran succeeded in creating an army and House Telvanni was able to close some of the Oblivion gates, Hualu was left powerless without the backing of the Empire. The events that transpired in the Imperial City and Akatosh's intervention ended the crisis and created increased interest in the Imperial cult along with many Hualu citizens, but damage was done. The events, uh, that that's the third era by the way, let's get into the fourth era. The events of the Red Year and Fourth Era Five brought further destruction on Tomorrowland with all of the settlements in Vardenfell being heavily damaged. Shortly after the eruption of Red Mountain, Marwyn came under siege from the Argonians of Black Marsh, and this was again saved by an army of House Redrin people. House Lalu, due to their close ties with the Imperial administration, became a scapegoat of all of this for the Denver people's suffering. As a result, 
House Lalu is unceremoniously stripped of the Great House status and dismissed from the Morrowind Brain Council. House Redoran became the eminent power in Morrowind, taking the position from Lalu that they'd held all throughout the Third Era. House Lalu believed that Redoran were instrumental in the recognition of the Council and would have, and they've held a grudge ever since. Indeed, Lalu's ref- refugees were still found living in some of the cities in eastern Skyrim two centuries later, such as Rind- Windhelm and Riften. House Lalu's seat on the Ground Council has since been filled by the Great House Sadras. In 4th Era 95, the Redoran Guard uncovered a Hualu plot by Vilura Yulin to assassinate the Redoran Council, Councilor Liril Morvane of Ravenrock. The town and the island of Solstheim were given to the Dunmer by High King of Skyrim in 4th Era 16 as a refuge following the events of the Red Year, and they were now administered by House Redoran. The coup was an attempt by Hualu to claim Solstheim from House Redoran, and to send a message to the council that their new leaders were not as mighty as they purported to be. However, the conspirators were executed and the coup was quelled. The second attempt in 4th Era 201 by Valur's son Vendel was foiled by the last dragonborn, resulting in Vendel being executed like his father before him. And that's really all we know as far as House Lalu. Um, yeah. They, it's just kind of another fall from grace story, unfortunately. But um, yeah, it, at one point in time, they were the big cheese, you might say. So anyway, yeah, that's really it as far as House Lalu. So next up, you know what? Let's talk about Redoran, and then we'll uh, go through the rest of them too. So. Anyway, that is it as far as this episode goes. I'd like to thank you all for listening. And uh, if you would do me a favor, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I've gotten some um, some vote, like some ratings on Spotify, but I haven't really got a um, like a review per se with some text. If you do end up um, doing that for me i will read it out on the show so anyway like i said next up is house redoran but in the meantime if you'd like to get a hold of me you can find me on twitter and instagram at iangold08 you can find the show at tamrielp and you can also check out my other shows i've got uh tenfo and we also have tapes from the waste and then also i do some voices on the modus files and you can also find me with my uh, Fallout feed roundtable feedback. And every now and then I also am a guest on the show. So yeah, definitely check out the Fallout feed. They're friends of the show. So until next time, stay safe, adventurers.